This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack. Justice. There are days when the city conspires to make it difficult for a fella to present a properly hard-boiled aspect. Mornings when the sun is bright and the air is crisp but not yet cool, and everything seems fresh and new even to those who ought to know better. Days when the million stories in the naked city all seem to be about carefree businessmen who dawdled on the way to work, or pleasant old ladies who stopped to feed the ducks. Normally, that kind of morning is poison to a Seamus. Try as you might, you can't help but remember that if everybody's happy, there's no particular need for you to get out of bed. There are exceptions, though, even for yours truly. And there was something about the day in question that made the schoolboy in my soul's fancy turn to thoughts of truancy. I was only a few blocks from the walk-up that housed the stylish offices of Jack Justice Investigations, where the old neighborhood borders the park, when I finally had to question exactly what the hurry was. If the office didn't open at the stroke of nine, would it really matter? Besides, there was always my partner, Trixie the Punch Clock Dixon. She'd have been there for an hour already, just for whatever giddy thrill she got looking down her nose at me when I sauntered in. Who was I to deny the kid her little pleasures? A little fresh air was all I was after. I made a quick turn to the left to enter the park when I ran headlong into someone making a hard right with the same apparent intention. Watch it, bub. Watch it yourself, sister. I... Trixie. Oh, it's you. Last time I checked... I was just... Blowing off work in favor of a promenade around the park? No, I... Well, that is... Well, what if I was? Great minds think alike. Come on, I'll buy you some peanuts. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Just about anyone we know would have fainted at the sight of old Squarejaw and I having a sachet around the square in the crisp autumnal air. I never thought of Blackjack as noticing a thing like sunshine. Using it to navigate by, yes. Shielding his eyes from it, yes. Pushing his fedora back and turning his face toward it to absorb its rays, no. I always hated it when he did something human. It was so out of character. The nice thing about spending time with Jack was that he didn't talk unless he had something to say. He never wasted any effort trying to impress a girl. Well, this girl, anyway. Sure, there were bills and paperwork and some very important staring at the clock, wondering if a client would ever come through the door again to be done. But there wasn't any hurry. And so it was that at quarter to ten we found ourselves at the gray-green door with the words Jack Justice Investigation slowly peeling from the smoke glass. I almost wished there was someone to scold us for truancy. That would have made it perfect. I was still fumbling for my keys when Jack froze. What is it? Shh. What is it? The door's been forced. What? The door's been... I heard you. You packing? Would I take the air with you if I weren't? Just a Beretta? You don't think I'll walk around with that hand cannon you got me for my birthday, do you? All right, all right. On three. Wait a minute, where's your gun? In my desk drawer. Well, that'll come in handy. I thought so. What if they've got it? You should probably shoot them. Maybe it's the landlord. He's got a key. Okay, on three. Right. Three. What are you doing? Well, we stood there talking for so long they couldn't help but hear us. You're just lucky there was no one here. Except him. Who? Him. Oh. Jack, why didn't you tell me? That you were practically standing on a corpse? I assumed you knew. 
Our late guest, whoever he might have been, was about six foot one standing up, which wasn't likely to become an issue. His suit was well-pressed, somewhere between steel gray and dark blue, with pinstripes in a lighter blue. His hat had made its way onto my desktop, probably when he fell. Just to his left of the dark blue necktie, a small stain of cherry red surrounded a hole that looked about the size of a thirty-eight slug. To judge by the size and depth of the pool of blood he was lying in, the exit wound in his back must have been pretty impressive. The blood was fresh, and rigor was just setting in. The wound was straight on, probably from less than eight feet away if I knew my powder burns. There were no burns on the hands, suggesting the trigger was pulled fast before he could throw his arms forward in a futile defensive gesture. His driver's license said his name was Victor Ramsey, and there was no one in the room who could refute it. He had a forty-five in his shoulder holster and a permit to carry same. The situation seemed pretty clear to me. A man who might or might not be Victor Ramsey had come into our office, found the door locked and forced it open for reasons unknown. A second person, identity unknown but who was not significantly shorter or taller than Ramsey, who may have entered the office with Ramsey or followed him in, shot him in the chest with a thirty-eight caliber pistol, likely with a soft-nosed bullet. Proficient, if not necessarily professional. Ramsey's lack of a defensive posture suggests his assailant was likely known to him, or at least not perceived as a threat until it was too late. I ran this by Trixie. She was in complete agreement with this scenario. Strangely enough, Lieutenant Sabian didn't quite see it that way. Are you telling me that... Sabian, we've been up and down and all around, and that's exactly what we're telling you. That he was dead when you found him here? Yes. And you expect me to believe that? You don't really want to know what we expect, Lieutenant. What are you working on? We're a little between things just now. Did you know this man? Never seen him. He wasn't a client. I generally like to see my clients. Then why was he carrying a thousand dollars in an envelope with the words Jack Justice Investigations on it? What? Look at the handwriting. Awfully spindly and flowery for a big guy like this. Thousand clams is a heck of a retainer. What was it for? Couldn't tell you, Sabian. If we walked through the door, he must have had a case. Must have been a hot one if it was worth forcing the door open. You've got no idea why he was bringing you a thousand dollars in cash? We don't take checks. Says you. Says me and the sign on the wall beside the door that says, No checks. I'm tired of chasing the bouncing little boys all over town. Uh Uh-huh. What was the case? See what he did, Trix? He almost tripped us up in a clever web of words. We don't know what the case was. We've never seen Victor Ramsey before this morning at quarter to ten, stone dead on the linoleum. So if you weren't out working for Ramsey and you don't have another case, would you mind telling me where you and her ladyship were until quarter to ten in the morning? We were taking a walk in the park. You were... (laughs) What's so funny? You and he... (laughs) You expect me to believe that? Get your hats, we're going downtown. Sabian, listen to me. No, you listen to me. You want to ice a guy in your office in the middle of the day? At least have the respect to come up with a less idiotic cover story. Blackjack Justice out on a nature hike with his smart aleck partner. You two can barely stand the set of each other when you're working. But you just close up the office and fly kites together, I suppose. Get your hats. The annoying thing wasn't the trip downtown. Gosh knows Sabian had us over to visit often enough that folks around headquarters thought the three of us were going steady. The truly irritating factor of play was that the good lieutenant was right. It was thin. If I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have believed it either. Of course, on a good day, a trip downtown means answering the same questions over and over again, when what you'd really rather be doing is figuring out who Victor Ramsey was, why he was so eager to retain us that he was walking around with a thousand dollars for us in his pocket, 
And did any or all of that have something or everything to do with why a not insubstantial amount of him was sprayed all over our offices while we were out picking daisies? Sorry. Tiny overdramatization on my part. There was no daisy picking. Jack had picked up a flat rock and looked for a moment like he was considering skipping it across the pond, but thought better of it. That was big for him. Seven hours later, I walked out of the interrogation room, tired, hungry, and with instructions not to leave town. I hadn't left town in four years, like I was going to start now. Trixie was waiting in the hall. That always kind of stuck in my craw. Twenty minutes into an interview, they've asked you every question you're going to hear all day. The next six to ten hours, you listen over and over, as a pretext to keep you busy while they search the crime scene. In this case, the mighty world headquarters of Jack Justice Investigations, then tap-danced for warrants for our apartments, bank records, anything else you could think of. It was an act, and they knew it was an act, and they knew that I knew that it was an act. So why they always cut Trixie loose an hour before me, I never understood. Hey, Flat Top, you look tired. Remember when this was a beautiful day? Yeah. Not me. Let's find a bar without too many cops in it. We may have to walk a few blocks. Suits me. So what now? Now? By now, the cops have been over every piece of evidence twice, which means there's no danger of a less bull-headed investigator actually finding, you know, clues or anything. Granted. They kept your Beretta, took my revolver from the desk, the forty-five I keep in the safe, probably shook both our places upside down looking for the thirty-eight that killed Ramsey. They'll take everything, test it twice, and get back to us in a couple of weeks. I hope you weren't planning on shooting anybody for a few days. Just myself. It can wait. They'd do all this in spite of the fact that if we had killed Ramsey, we wouldn't have taken the gun home, raced back to the office and called Sabian, because we're not complete idiots. Can we at least get out of police headquarters before you start the why I hate cops speech? I don't hate cops. They catch most criminals because most crimes are committed by stupid people, or smart people behaving stupidly. That's why they're so good at what they do, because it takes an idiot to catch an idiot. Okay. It's okay, fellas. He's just a little pent up. He's been under hot lights all day. Don't mind us. Can you put a hat on it, please? I'd like to see the sun again. See that? Isn't that better? Bourbon. Yes, good bourbon. Let's go. Jack! Jack, hey! Ah, oh, swell. Jack, boy, I'm ever glad to see you. Hello, Miss Trixie. Well, well, Freddy the Finger Hawthorne. Why am I not surprised? Jeez, Miss Trixie, why do you call me that? Y- you know I don't like it much. That's why. All right, you two. I'm in no mood for it. It's been a lousy day. I'd like a lousy meal and a lousy drink and then home to my lousy little bed. Ah, no, Jack. You can't do that. No, sir. Why not, Frederick? Because they're waiting to put you on the spot. Both of you. Put us on the spot? Who? The Sullivan mob. Or what's left of them. They're looking to rub you both out. That's why that Ramsey fellow was stiffed in your office this morning, Jackie. They thought he was you. You are listening to Blackjack Justice. From DecoderRingTheater.com A private eye's list of friends is never very long at the best of times. Usually the best you can hope for is mild antipathy to low-grade hostility. That's just the way it is, and there isn't much you can do about it. The upside is... Every so often, you find yourself under suspicion of murdering someone who might have been killed by gangsters with a vendetta just for being the first six-footer through the door in the morning. If Freddy's tip was on the level, and they usually were, our old friends in the Sullivan mob were looking to take Trixie and I down with them, and Victor Ramsey had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. At times like this, a little mild antipathy starts to look real good. We were holed up in Freddy's waterfront hideout. 
Trixie was wearing a path in the floor, and I was making a list of known associates of the Sullivan mob still at large. So far, it wasn't so much a list as a blank sheet of paper with the words Sullivan mob at the top. Six weeks ago, the judge threw the book at Artie Sullivan and his entire organization, thanks in part to the testimony of a crooked judge Jack and I exposed. The public credit went to the cops, but it seemed someone in the Sullivan mob could read between the lines. The trouble was, who? The net they closed around the gang had been the most complete anyone could remember. From the lowest foot soldier up to Artie and his lieutenants, we thought they had them all. Guess not. Big fish or guppies, someone had escaped the net, and the ripples weren't my kind of ride. Freddie Hawthorne fretted in the corner. He was a jack-of-all-trades, was our Fred, but he was a coward at heart. He tipped us off about the marker on our heads, and for his good deed, he had inherited two fugitives as house guests. We had to figure out who was gunning for us and put the finger on them for Lieutenant Sabian before we wound up dead, incarcerated, or both. How's that list coming, Bright Eyes? Swell, thanks. Maybe we shouldn't wait till you're done to divvy it up. Why don't I run down the names you've already got? I don't think so. Come on, Jack, I'll take Freddy with me if you like. Who, me? Uh, no. Don't tease poor Freddy. Jack, you haven't written a single name. I can't think of a single name is why. I thought you were an expert on the Sullivan mob. I thought so, too. But if there's anyone left out there, I don't know about it. Couldn't old man Sullivan have put you on the spot from jail? And pay for the hit how? With his whole family behind bars, he can't give money or favors. This is pointless. I'm going to go see what I can find out about Victor Ramsey. Why? Because he was almost a client. Remember the thousand dollars in the envelope? I remember. But we're not going anywhere till Freddy scares us up some hardware. Sabian's boys have every gat we own. I've been trying, Jack. But all I could lay hands on was, was a typewriter. A typewriter? Real subtle, Frederick. I'll just slink around nonchalantly with a machine gun in my pocket. That should make Sabian's day. So what do we do? We go back to the beginning. Huh? We assumed Victor Ramsey had forced the office door. But if the gunman thought he was Jack, then the door must have been forced before Ramsey got there. So the gunman was there first. Ramsey arrives, tries the door, finds it open, and walks in. The gunman is hiding behind the door at this point. Right. Ramsey walks in. He's about Jack's size. Why doesn't the killer shoot him in the back? Mob hit. You're supposed to see it coming. So the gunman says something. Something that makes Ramsey turn without drawing his own piece. The gunman shoots, realizes it's not Jack, and panics. All of which means what? It means if I'd been on time, I'd be dead right now. But it doesn't get us any closer to knowing who the hired gun is, or where he is. Where he is? He's in the morgue, of course. The morgue? You still here? Leave him alone. Fred, what are you talking about? Why is the hitman at the morgue? Not at the morgue. In the morgue. I'll give you a dollar to start making sense. Vic Ramsey was the hired gun. What? Sure. Sure, he's a pro out of Chicago. Somebody in the Sullivan mob hired him to rub you out. A thousand dollars in an envelope marked Jack Justice Investigations. Jack, he wasn't coming to hire us. He'd been hired to kill us. Which is why Sabian couldn't believe that I didn't do him in myself. He must be going crazy trying to figure out why we didn't cop to it. It'd be self-defense. Maybe. Ramsey didn't pull his rod, remember? So somebody from the Sullivan crime family brought in a pro to take care of business, gave him a thousand dollars, and somebody else iced him? Why do I feel like our biggest problem just became the cops again? Who's our guardian angel and why? Maybe they wanted the fee themselves. And why didn't they take it off Ramsey? Maybe they didn't know he had it yet. Maybe they just panicked. Panic and run? Not exactly ice water in the veins. It still doesn't make any sense, I tell you. Everybody was rounded up. All the assets, the money, the legitimate businesses, all seized. Not only is there no one in the Sullivan crime family left to pull this off, I doubt they even have a thousand. Jack? Yeah. You trailed off in the middle yeah. of a... Yeah. Yeah. Freddy, 
You got something to carry that typewriter in. Sure, Jackie. The guy I bought it from uses an old trombone case. Why? No reason, Freddy. Just lend me your hat. Trix, I think we'll take in the air after all. Do you want me to answer that, Grandma? Huh? Oh, oh, I suppose you'd better. Can I help you? Pest control. I beg your pardon? I said pest control. Somebody here call for an exterminator? I think you'd better go. Who is it, Sally? It's no one, Granny. No one, huh? One side, Junior. Hey! You there. Are you Estelle Sullivan? Yes! Name's McGinnis. Machine Gun McGinnis, out of Chicago. Don't say anything, Granny. Vic Ramsey was a pal of mine. I came to finish his last contract. Oh, my. And fix the rat that plugged him. We don't want you here. Go back to Chicago. I'm talking to the frail, Sonny. Shut up. You hired Vic to plug a Seamus called Justice. Oh, and his partner, yes. They put away my boy, Artie, and all of his boys. Everyone who worked for the family. They took everything. Everything we had. Not everything, Granny Sullivan. Vic didn't work charity cases. I gave Mr. Ramsey a thousand dollars for the job. And I told her not to. Granny, you can't afford to lose that money. It's already gone. Mr. Ramsey took it in advance. Then the cops must have it. It's over. You can leave now, McGinnis. Who are you, Sonny? The houseboy? I'm Sully Sullivan. Sully Sullivan. I get the picture. All that's left of the Sullivan crime family. A little old lady with a score to settle, and a kid too weak or too stupid to be in the loop with the mob. Why, you... Take it easy, kid. This trombone blows a lot more than air. Oh, my. What a big gun. It gets the job done. And you do want the job done, don't you, Granny? Oh, yes, Mr. McGinnis. Those interfering detectives have left us with nothing. Not nothing, I hope, Granny. The fee's the same as before. Thousand clams. She can't afford that. Don't you see? She has nothing. I'm through taking lip from you, Sonny. Granny wants the job done, don't you, Granny? Uh, oh my, yes. I hear this justice corpse, my pal Vic, but I ain't popping him for charity. You can't do this. You can't take her money. I'm a businessman, kid. Old man Sullivan would have understood. Grandma, no, not again. You didn't want her to hire Vic Ramsey, did you, Sully? No, I begged her. And when she paid him anyway, you decided to take matters into your own hands, right? What? Justice didn't corpse Vic Ramsey. Sully did, didn't you, kid? Didn't ya? That's right. Sully! You thought it was the dick, Justice. When you realized it was Ramsey, you panicked. I didn't panic. You left your granny's money, didn't you? I... Guess I did. You guess you did. Word of advice, Junior. Never try to kill a man till you know what he looks like. What are you doing with that gun? Reach for the sky, Granny <gasps> Sullivan. Bring Sabian in, Trixie. Sabian? Trixie? You? You're Jack Justice. That's right. He's Jack Justice, all right. Hear everything all right, Sabian? I heard plenty. Looks like the last of the Sullivans are going to join our little family reunion in the big house. And that was the last we heard of the contract in our heads. Sully Sullivan was found guilty of first-degree murder. He awaits sentencing, but I can't imagine it's with much anticipation. Granny Sullivan? 
She never actually pulled a trigger, and she looks like everybody's known us, so she got off easy. Ten years in the pen. She'll be out a week after her 90th birthday. With her family behind bars and the Sullivan crime fortune in the hands of the law, I bet she hopes she doesn't live to see it. And Jack? Jack went on being Jack, with the possible exception that it was a little tougher to make him feel guilty for arriving late for work in the morning. He said it for years afterwards. I only took one holiday in my life, he'd say, with that smirk you wanted to smack off his old square jaw. It was an hour long, and it saved my life. Blackjack Justice, Episode 6, Justice's Holiday, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices by Peter Nichol, Clarissa Dunederlanden, Gregory Z. Cook, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.